Welcome to The Missing Link, a podcast where crypto and insurance come together. I'm Dan Roberts, and my co-host is Danielle Wall-Elliott. Whether you're in crypto, traditional finance, or in need of a new podcast, The Missing Link will help you explore the vital role that insurance plays in crypto and how blockchain will disrupt insurance. Join us on our journey to find The Missing Link. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Missing Link. Uh, today, we have founder of Synthetics, uh, Kane Warwick. He takes us through the trends and phases of synthetics governance uh, and decentralization in general, talks about the chaos and the rubies and the rubble that are really starting to take hold in the space. And he ends with great sentiment over the state of the market uh, and the missing link that might have already arrived, which is uh, a new one. Um, so it was a really great uh, engaging conversation and we hope you enjoy. All right, episode three. I'm excited about this one. Today we have Kane Warwick joining us on the podcast. Um, I've heard Kane described as a founder of DeFi um, and more specifically as the founder of Synthetics. Synthetics allows people to hold tokens that give them price exposure to real world assets. Synthetics is open source and the protocol is community owned. Um, today we have a truly global conversation happening from Australia, the UK, and the US. So, Kane, thank you for uh, joining us today and spending some time with us. Uh, first off, you yeah, know, I wanted to ask you, how do you describe synthetics today and maybe how has that changed? Yeah, I think, you know, today synthetics is more of uh, like infrastructure um, than it once was. Um, you know, so originally synthetics was a stablecoin platform. Um, and, you know, the stablecoin and uh, the kind of use case of like payments was the sort of totality of the project. Um, and then over time, as we've evolved, you know, we went from this Haven stablecoin to synthetics um, and then, you know, synthetics V2X and then now synthetics V3. Synthetics has kind of faded further and further into the background and is now kind of facilitating other projects to um you know tap into liquidity and, and build um different interesting financial instruments and what do you um tell people your role is since it is more community owned do you just say you know community participant still just founder I mean, you know, I'm still the founder. I guess they can never take that away from yeah. me. But um, yeah, <laughs> like I get to always be the founder. Um, but I think in some ways, you know, founder does kind of, you know, it's evolved uh, over time, this, this title of founder, right? To like kind of almost imply like a sense of control. Um, so I do think that there is, you know, like something that like is a, a bit kind of misaligned there, right? I don't want to give the false impression that I have any control of synthetics because I really don't. Um, you know, particularly over the last six months, um, once I was no longer on uh, the governance council, um, you know, I, I really, uh, from a day-to-day -day perspective, sometimes people will be like, hey, can I like tell you what I'm doing? Um, but, you know, it's very, it's very kind of one directional. It's them telling me what they're doing rather than me sort of saying, hey, why don't you guys try this or, or you know, do something else. Nice. Well, another thing we like to start off with each of our guests is just to kind of get them to rate themselves uh, on a scale of one to 10. What's your crypto knowledge and what's your insurance knowledge? 
So I think, you know, Dan and I had this conversation, um, maybe the first time that we caught up, right? I have a, a weird, you know, every once in a while you like get forced to kind of do something which gives you like some weird knowledge that you really shouldn't have, right? Um, about how like something works in the world. Um, you know, you go down a rabbit hole or, or you have some project that like requires you to do something. And in back in like 2015, um, when we were in the process of rolling out Blue Shift, I went down this insurance rabbit hole. Um, because you know, it was, it was weird kind of insurance around, um, uh, like, uh, gaming outcomes. Um, but like we, you know, ended up having conversations with people at like Lloyd's and it was just a whole weird thing. I've forgotten 95% of it, I'm sure, but like, I do have like a, a weird, so I would say I'll give myself like a three on insurance maybe. Um, and then crypto, I don't know, like I would have said, you know, back in the day that I, I was probably, you know, a, a nine out of 10, but I might be like a 7.5 these days. There's a lot of stuff that I haven't caught up with in the last like year. So the bear markets for catching up on, on the latest stuff. Yeah. Not just for building for learning too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Or relearning in my case. <laughs> yeah. I feel like if you think you've lost 95% of your insurance knowledge and it's still a three, that puts you up at a pretty strong, like 97 or something originally out of 10. Yeah. I was, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, look, who knows, right? Like, uh, you know, for, there was probably a three month period where like, I knew a lot about like what, you know, what was going on underwriting and, you know, the players were and everything, but yeah, definitely that knowledge has evaporated over the last like eight years. So most people's insurance knowledge arises from it being forced upon them. So yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, amazing. Well, yeah, very very cool to have you on. Um, you know, thank you again. Uh, I think my interest is, you know, the crypto space we've been saying for a long time hasn't been around uh, for a super long time, but it's um, you know, it's certainly going through its different phases of maturity. Um, and synthetics is. I would say has you know is one of the you know longer uh, staple names uh, in the space, um, and so was keen to understand how you have navigated the you know the various bull and bear markets and the various trends that have come and gone um, over the duration of your time, and you know particularly keen to maybe dive into a bit of the the governance piece as you guys you know operate a DAO and and have gone through all of those challenges as well, so. Um, yeah, have you seen very distinct phases over the duration of the synthetics product uh, project? I think we have, but I also think that DeFi, um, you know, and, and synthetics as part of DeFi um, has sort of been a little bit out of phase with, uh, you know, some of the more like macro cycles, um, you know, so like we had DeFi summer, um, which yesterday on Twitter was pointed out to me was not in 2019, it was actually in 2020. So it just shows how good my memory is. Um, but you know, 20, 2019 for synthetic was a big year, um, where for, you know, macro crypto, right. Um, it was, it was pretty dead. Um, and that was the case for a lot of the OG DeFi projects. You know, there was this kind of like weeding out a lot of the like weird stuff that didn't make any sense, you know, um, and what was left was kind of DeFi. Um, there was some identity stuff, there was some gaming stuff, some NFT stuff, like early, early stuff in that direction. But really, the, the majority of the projects that like continued building through, through that, you know, bear market, um, were DeFi projects. Um, and so then, you know, you had this kind of like, uh, I guess resurgence of interest from people who were still in crypto in 2019 and, and 2020. Uh, but then by 2021, that it kind of faded and, and the all one thesis and, you know, NFTs and, and games kind of, 
you know, uh, reached an ascendancy again. And so I do think that we have had this kind of weird relationship where like, yeah, you feel the bear markets, but they can kind of sometimes feel a little bit out of sync with the rest of crypto. Yeah, yeah. You know, I feel like on the governance side, I remember, uh, um, you know, a long post that you did about essentially a suggestion of how uh, the DAO could operate and, you know, your strong opinions on the way that it should, but it was quite new to people getting into the DeFi mindset around that time um, to see, as you say, a founder being just another voice in the room uh, or in the community. Uh, are you able to um, sort of, you know, how have you seen the governance challenges evolve over time? You know, we've seen some success stories in the space, but they still, you know, are uh, subject to, you know, significant challenges in, in operating decentralized governance. There are still new, uh, you know, models and, and attempts at getting that right. Um, yeah, what's the, how's the, how's the governance piece evolved for synthetics over time as your, you know, involvement has decreased? I think when you when you look at governance or, or any kind of experimentation, right, um, you know, and, and governance within DeFi or within crypto projects is an ongoing experiment. Mm -hmm. It is kind of easy to look at a small sample size and draw, um, you know, some overly broad conclusions. Um, and I think that that definitely happened a little bit, right? And it's also easy to kind of overreact and overcorrect and be like, oh, wow, this is really not working. You know, we need to go in a different direction. Um, yeah. And I think on some level, you know, if you try to change the way that something works, right, like a startup or, or you know, a project, there is inevitably going to be friction. Even if the end state that you're going to get to is going to be better, you know, like look at, you know, and like a, an acquisition of a startup, right? You know, a startup gets acquired by a larger company. You know, there's a lot of horror stories of that going wrong. But even the ones that are successful, the first three months, it's chaos. Right. And if you looked at that and, you know, every single time you got two months in and you're like, no, shut this thing down. It's not working. You know, yeah. then you never get through that kind of, you know, uh, trials of disillusionment or, or whatever, where you come out the other side and you're like, oh, actually, this is okay. Um, now, you know, that isn't to say that all of the ways that we've approached decentralized governance within DeFi have been smart or effective or efficient. Right. Um, you know, that process of how you, do that first three, six, 12 months of decentralization is still an open question. And, you know, it's still an, a problem to be optimized for. Um, but within synthetics, we had this thing where we kind of hit a wall after about six months of like, you know, we really decentralized it. We'd like hand it over to accounts and we've done all this stuff. Um, and the aspect that was sort of left behind were the core contributors. You know, so we went we went to a, a core contributor model. Um, you know, I think Synthetics was one of the first crypto projects to kind of rethink, you know, rather than having a team of people that were paid by a centralized entity to, to, to say, you know, anyone can be a contributor, but a core contributor is someone who is paid directly by the DAO. And so we've got this DAO that's paying core contributors to do stuff. What the fuck do they do? Is the question then, right? And this is what happened, right? Like we, we were like, okay, you know, we've got all this stuff and it's working and we've got a council and community and you know everyone everything's being directed but people need some structure to kind of you know get them in the right direction moving in the right direction coordinate them and that was the bit that we missed with synthetics now it would have been easy to just go fail you know put the fail stamp on it and, and you know go back to centralization 
Um, what I did at the time was say, okay, like we really missed this. We thought that, you know, especially coming from synthetics, there were eight people, you know, in the early synthetics, you know, people that kind of got us through that bear market, right? They were all sitting in one room most of the time and they could all kind of talk to each other. And, you know, there was a level of kind of coordination that just in a small group of people can, can work really well. And then we went from like eight to like 25 and it just, you know, fell apart. And so I looked at that and I was like, okay, we got that wrong. We got a lot of stuff right. We got a lot of stuff wrong. Let's go and fix the stuff we got wrong rather than trying to, you know, throw the whole thing out. Um, and we, we kind of thought through how to improve and make more efficient this process of core contributors. And now the core contributors are genuinely self-organizing. They take inputs from the community in the form of, you know, governance proposals, whatever. And then they output a thing and it works really well, but it took, you know, two years to, and, and it was very kind of pop dependent and, and this random walk towards, you know, um, this efficient process. But I think we've gotten there. Now, does that mean that? If you look at synthetics, you could kind of plot out how to do it for another project. Not necessarily, because I just don't think we have enough data and, and it's too idiosyncratic. But I think if you look at, you know, 10 projects or 20 projects that have all survived, right? And, and look at, okay, what was the process that they went through? There's probably some lessons you can start to really, you know, kind of pick out of there. And, and I think we will develop a bit of a playbook, but it's still very early. One of those yeah. lessons that I learned, you know, I worked at Shapeshift for six years and then uh, helped them transition to a DAO. And one of the lessons and, and the drum that I was beating the loudest is decentralization is not the absence of organization. And I think that, you know, we want to feel like, wow, it's community led. Wow, let's hand over the keys to these token holders. And it's like, no, like we have processes in place. We were such an established company that we didn't need to reinvent the wheel. Let's do what we were doing but let's have, you know, community members join us in doing it. And so, yeah, I love, I love hearing about just different DAO models and communities and and how it, it takes trial and error. But yeah, if you, if you, like you said, if you wait it out, you're going to have that success. Yeah. If you I mean, can survive like, the bear market. Yeah. If you can survive, you got to survive the bear yeah. market and, 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 you know, a bear market is a good time to do this stuff, but it's a little bit like, you know, trying to like switch out the, you know, uh, engines in a plane, you know, while, while you're flying, flying, flying the plane. Right? you know, yeah. it's like, well, we only need one and we've got three. So like, let's, you know, switch out one. And it's like, well, okay, that doesn't work out. Now we've got two engines. Like, what do we do? You know? <laughs> so you do need to have some care, obviously, you know, you don't want to crash the plane. Um, but you also don't want to rebuild the plane in its entirety, right? Like you, you know, you want to actually take what the plane works. You just, you know, switching out some components. So um, I think that that is, you know, that's exactly right. Like you still need organization, um, but we just didn't have a lot of good examples of what does organization, we, we had great examples of what chaos looks like. We didn't have good examples of what organization looked like in a decentralized environment. And I think on some level, you almost can only get that looking, you know, post hoc, like you look retrospectively and you're like, oh, that is why that worked. Okay, cool. Now, next time I know how to do that better. At the time, you're just like in this, you know, insanity and you're like trying to survive. Well, I mean, Danielle, I feel like you say you're not reinventing the wheel, but there is a lot of reinventing going on regardless. And that's not even talking about the synthetics proposition or whatever, you know, startup and new innovation you're bringing to the market. You're talking about governance innovation and and uh, you know, doing all that at the same time, it's good to remind everyone from time to time that it, you know you mentioned it's been two years, 
uh, which may seem like an eternity in this market, but it's still, you know, if you imagine another 10, 20 years going by, there's a huge amount of progress to be made. So, um, yeah, congratulations on feeling some of that emerging from the chaos and, uh, you know, and yeah, seeing some of the, the fruits of that uh, headaches and gray hairs coming through, uh, you know, coming to fruition. I guess on the subject, um, what would you say you're most excited about uh, around synthetics this year? What are the sort of biggest adoption plays for the uh, protocol in 2023? Um, I think, you know, as I said, this this kind of receding into the background and becoming infrastructure um, mm -hmm. and, and sort of seeing that come to fruition, um, you know, where uh, there's, uh, I guess, um, you know, 10 plus different projects that are leveraging synthetics now as infrastructure, um, you know, to the point where you've got like multiple layers and, and composability actually, you know, at this point, right? So you've got synthetics as this, you know, kind of base layer liquidity, and then you've got, you know, multiple projects building interfaces, building different, you know, solutions on top of it. And then some of those independent solutions being kind of composed together to create like a third solution, which is pretty amazing to see. Um, you know, and I think that really speaks to the promise of DeFi. Like we definitely saw that, um, you know, uh, with combinations of, you know, things like um, AMMs and lending and stuff, you know, through like DeFi summer and, and 2021 into 2022. Um, but I think the level of complexity of some of those things is, is really increasing. And the reason for that, I think is, time but also you know computational efficiency right we have l2s now that are effective and and you know um and working and so you can just do things that were just kind of you know not really uh possible on, on l1 that's great yeah so synthetics you know our our take is that the next kind of wave of DeFi is just this idea of tokenization of real world assets and illiquid assets. You know, synthetics allows for tokenized exposure to gold, silver, you know, Bitcoin, you know, euros. Um, you know, how do you see the tokenization of illiquid assets or real world assets advancing over the next 12 months? That is a very good question. And, and you know, the real world assets question, I guess, is still still feels to me like a bit unsolved. Um, you know, there's people talking about like tokenizing treasuries, you know, now there's yield to be had in the real world. Who would have thought it? Right. Um, and you know, how do we real get yield, on? real yield in the real world? Right. Um, you know, uh, we're not at zero percent, uh, interest rates anymore. Right. So people are like, Oh, how do we get that into crypto? Which is, you know, it's hilarious and a bit horrifying. Right. It's like, you know, like, do we need to put a wrapper around treasuries? But, you know, on some level, like yes not everyone has access to treasuries you know and, and if you look at that as like true risk-free yield and you know someone in bangladesh wants to you know access a you know three four percent yield or whatever and, and has stable coins then okay cool you know maybe that makes sense and they can hold their money in, in usd so you know there's definitely some stuff where i'm like okay this seems like something that has utility um there's still the open question of how do you maintain that utility and you know, kind of decentralization while bringing it on chain without, you know, create recreating this like CFI nightmare that we've right. sort of seen play out in, in real time over the last year, you know? Um, and that to me is still kind of an unsolved question because you know, you're, you're at the mercy of regulators and in various jurisdictions, um, you know, as soon as you touch the real world. 
um, you know, Matt Levine talks about this a lot, like this idea of like, okay, you know, you kind of have two paths you can go down. You can, you know, stay as this like, you know, kind of little casino that's self-referential and, and, you know, doesn't actually do anything. Right. But it's really fun and you get to kind of invent cool things or you can, you know, eventually try and connect yourself to the real world. Um, as soon as you connect yourself to the real world, the real world, you know, it's connected to you, right. <laughs> Which is you yeah. know, sometimes problematic. So yeah, that hits close to home where we we kind of talk about this. We're like, we're a centralized company with, you know, fully regulated uh, using, utilizing decentralized, you know, tools and, and protocols because, you know, we do have this one foot in the real world and, and one foot in the crypto world. Uh, you know, next up, I, I, I told you I watched a, a great uh, chain link video on you and um, saw that you've been an entrepreneur for quite some time uh, from stringing tennis rackets at 15, making, I think you said 50 to $100,000 a year. Um, so then, you know, Blue Shift, Haven and, and Synthetics. And now as an investor in the space, you're seeing a lot of projects. So are there any specific industries that you're focused on? Is there anything that's most interesting to you and hot right now? Just, you know, there's nothing that I would say, like, I'm, I'm kind of any more excited about than I was, you know, six or 12 months ago, let's say, right. Um, you know, I think all of in the bear market, you get to kind of see what's real. Um, and so for me, what I'm kind of watching is like, what are the things that are still kind of grinding away? You know, what are the projects that are still grinding away? What are the kind of sectors that are still grinding away doing things? Um, because, you know, there's a big opportunity and like people, I think after the FTX collapse, people are like, oh man, this is going to be terrible. You know, there's going to be so much scrutiny on crypto and there is, but the majority of that scrutiny is really kind of on like the CPI side of things. Right. Yeah. And, you know, if you're a small DeFi project that, you know, is kind of grinding away in obscurity at the moment, you know, my argument would be, you can kind of get away with whatever you want. Right. Like there's really no one, you know, it's going to take a while before we work out, you know, what the, the full fallout of, uh, of FTX was. Right. Um, and that's going to tie up a lot of attention and, and cycles from a lot of people. So, you know, if you want to go and innovate now, okay. Yeah. You might not have piles of money being dropped on your head, but you know, you might not need piles of money <laughs> to, to go and do the thing you want to do. So for me, you know, it's about, um, kind of catching up on all the stuff that happened over the last two years. Um, you know, a lot of it's nonsense, but there are, you know, little gems in there. Um, and sort of looking and being like, oh, actually, that's really interesting. What's happening now with it? You know, and then you kind of sometimes you dig in and you're like, oh, that's actually dead. It was a dead end. And you know, people kind of gave up once, once, you know, it was obvious that there was not going to be just, you know, infinite piles of money um, to go and do whatever nonsense you wanted. And, and so people tend to stop doing those things. But then you look in some things, you're like, oh, wow, okay, people are still grinding away at that and, and they're still solving it. It's still going in the right direction. How do you dig in? Do you join the discord communities? Do you just look at what the output is? Yeah. So for me, it's like, you know, starting, um, we're lucky today in that, you know, you have so many great newsletters, right? Like you've got like the defiant and the daily Gway, and, you know, you've got podcasts and all. So oftentimes I'll, I'll like, see a project or like see something i'm kind of my first protocol is like go to their twitter um and be like okay what are they talking about right and you know if there's like three tweets in the last like week and you know then the, usually they'll link out to like a mirror post or something and you can kind of just like go down that rabbit hole you know uh and and you know sort of see what's going on there um i 
these days, I mean, Discord is very hard to manage, right? Like, you know, I actually just got back into the synthetics Discord for the first time in a few months yesterday. And already I'm like, oh man, I know why I've stopped doing this. Like, <laughs> it's just really challenging. So, you know, occasionally if I'm like, all right, I really want to dig in and I've got a question that is hard to answer, I might jump into a project Discord. Uh, um, but I'm lucky that, you know, if I'm really, really into that I can usually kind of ping the founders and be like, hey, you know, answer my dumb questions. And they'll be like, sure. That's great. Yeah. Self, we need to use Twitter more as well, Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the majority of stuff still happens. You know, Twitter is still the, the public sphere for crypto, right? That's, you know, crypto Twitter is still the place. Dan, get on Twitter. I've told you this. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you <laughs> go. I'm sticking to my guns. So you've uh, insured a few, or you know, reviewed a few insurance plays, names included. Uh, you know, can you just mention on on this landscape, crypto insurance? You know, how is this developing? Do you? I at least am seeing so much more interest. It's kind of a weird take when you know something blows up, people come to us and want to talk to us. So it's it's a, a weird predicament to be in. Um, but yeah, what what do you think about the crypto insurance landscape? Yeah, I mean, yeah, this this um, node generator of insurance demand like a hurricane coming and knocking everyone down, the houses down, right? So, you know, I, I think that people are um, of a mindset right now um, where, you know, they are maybe a bit more risk averse um, or a bit more risk off than they were, you know, the last couple of years, right? Um, you know, when number go up, you know, is kind of the prevailing thing. You're like, oh, whatever, insurance, I don't care, right? Like, that's dumb, you know? Um, why would I even bother, right? Um, but I think that we are in a position now where people are like, oh, now I get why that's a thing, right? Um, and so, you know, the, the kind of pennies drop a little bit. So in terms of, and your dad and I talked about this, I think when we first you know, sort of discussed this, right? Like I'm, I guess, like uh, somewhat um, of an insurance skeptic, right? In, in terms of, uh, you know, how you actually take insurance um, and, you know, put it into an environment where we just don't understand the risks, right? Now I say skeptic in the sense of like for today, Right. Um, you know, for 10 years from now, no, like obviously the market will get more efficient. We'll understand risk and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, even like FTX, right? Like if you'd said to me, like, what is the probability that SBF, you know, like I, like, I mean, I was on a bunch of podcasts with SBF and like, what is the probability that FTX is a giant Ponzi scheme? I would have been like, well, it's crypto, so it can't be zero, but I would have said zero anyway, because I'm an idiot, right? <laughs> and so I would have been like, well, it's obviously zero, like, it's just not a thing, right? And so when you have a, an environment that is so crazy and so adversarial, you know, the question then is like, how do you actually ensure that in an efficient manner? Now, I'm sure, you know, we can get there. Like, there's no question we will get there. It's just for me, the kind of skepticism, I guess, is like, how do we do that today? Um, and I, you know, I remember having the first conversation with Dan and I was like, I don't really know what the hell this guy's talking about, but like, he seems pretty credible. And, you know, like if someone's going to do it, it's going to be someone that comes with domain expertise from outside. Right. In like there's certain things where you're like, okay, we can reinvent this from scratch in crypto. And we might, you know, if enough of us do enough weird things, one of them will work. Right. Insurance to me feels like it's not one of those things where it's just going to be like some weird crypto version. You know, we can reinvent a lot of things in crypto. Um, you know, 
but this one just didn't feel like it was going to be amenable to that. Um, and so, you know, talking to Dan, I was like, oh, okay. Like, you know, this is someone who's got domain expertise who's coming in and trying to cryptify it versus, you know, hey, insurance, I know that word, let's build it from the ground up, right? Um, you know, they're both interesting approaches to the problem, but I do feel like the, you know, the kind of coming from the outside and making it crypto um, in the long term is likely to win out. We're, we're still met with that criticism, especially, you know, from the traditional insurance players. It's just like, wow, there's not enough data. I'm like, that's all we have is data. It's all on chain. Like, you know, we, we should be able to map this pretty well. Um, but yeah, I think with event, you know, in, in insurance across the board, it, it usually is a major event happens and then insurance products are created. And so, yeah, it's sucks for the industry. There are black guys on the crypto industry, um, but it does help us to, you know, show that use case more and more and uh, show the, the real benefits that crypto could have, you know, from, from insurance. Yeah. I, th I feel like there's an interesting dichotomy as well. When you talk about, you know, being the crazy versus being, you know, the, the steady Eddie and, you know, we have a fully regulated business. We have, you know, this kind of sophistication piece, um, you know, dare I say, boring, uh, you know, approach to some of the ways that we do things, certainly in comparison to, you know, some of the crazy projects that you see in the crypto space. But in terms of the insurance industry, we are as crazy as it gets. Uh, and, you know, it's almost trying to, uh, and I think, you know, largely successfully, you know, trying to show these traditional guys that move at a pace that is impressively slow um that you're actually not a huge step away from being able to operate in a you know very new efficient way and so you're constantly creating these um you know these bridges or you know bits of education or you know different types of technologies to just get a little bit closer to the way that they operate um because you know i i really don't think that the insurance industry is as far away from operating in this you know, transparent, uh, you know, very, very efficient, tradable manner um, using this kind of technology. And some of the bigger, more traditional insurance players who are really leading the way there, yes, it's taken them, you know, two or three years to, you know, get through compliance, to hold tokens and own wallets and, uh, you know, understand multisig and, and get that all signed off. But as soon as that's done, which we're, you know, we're starting to see an exponential um, you know, move there, then, you know, suddenly you have the biggest players in the traditional space using this kind of technology and insurance is a game of large numbers. So, you know, these aren't small projects um, that they're working on. These have been, you know, multiple year, multiple growing teams. You know, some of the teams I've been speaking to started off as teams of one, you know, oh yeah, I was hired to you know, think about digital assets and, you know, whatever. and now they, you know, they're running teams of 20, 30 within their organizations and they have full buy-in from legal and compliance and they're not coming to do small things. Um, so yeah, we get to be the cool, sexy, crazy one on one side and then uh, put people the stable, to stable, stable board on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, you know, I think that is something that, um, you know, is, uh, is maybe less obvious um, you know, on the outside, right? Like to, you know, even like to like a, your average DJ, right? Um, you know, when um, each cycle, there's this kind of irrational exuberant phase, right? Where like someone somewhere in an organization is like, we have to like deal with, you know, 
blockchain or digital assets or whatever the thing is, right? Um, and you know, it gets some momentum, and people start doing stuff internally. They get, you know, they build up teams. They start investing things, and you know, like it's hard to turn a, a big ship, right? And so, you know, even when crypto inevitably crashes, like six months later, you know, a lot of these things kind of just keep going. You know. The company might not be like on Bloomberg talking about their, you know, digital asset play anymore, right? But the team of 30 people that's, you know, in the basement that's like cranking away, it probably keeps going, right? Uh, now, some stuff gets shut down, you know, but like a lot of stuff just builds momentum, keeps going. And then magically, when, you know, the market comes back, those people have been grinding away in obscurity. And now people are like, do we have a blockchain idea? And it's like, oh, yeah, they, those guys in the basement, they've been there for three years, right? And they're like, all right, now's the time to like now. So I think that, you know, when we come out the other side of this market, that's, there's going to be a lot of that sort of stuff that's going on. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, you know, our previous podcast with Kevin, he said it really well when, um, you know, the kind of 2018 bust, there was really just nothing to do. Uh, whereas the, you know, this, this current, let's call it a bear market. There's all sorts of things still going on and, uh, and all sorts of activity and a tremendous amount of building, which obviously was going on, but you, you know, usage is so, so different, uh, this time around. Um, not that bull and bear markets are totally, uh, easy to, you know, to track. So we don't know where things are going, but, um, yeah, it does feel very different. Uh, you know, you know, last one for me really. Interested to know how much thought uh, synthetics or you yourself, um, you know, overlapped with any regulatory conversations. Um, you know, how did you guys think about that, uh, if at all? Uh, and uh, you know, how, how do you see that going forwards? Obviously, that more pure decentralized play. I always find that that conversation fascinating. Yeah, I think you know we. I remember uh, sitting in. Um, uh, our lawyer's office, right? Um, in like 20, late 2018. Um, and we just launched synthetics. Um, and, you know, we're sitting in this tower, right? And it's like, you know, this big office tower, you know, they're expensive lawyers or whatever. Um, we ended up deciding that we didn't want to spend as much money on lawyers. So we decentralized. Um, but, you know, we're looking across town, right? This is in Sydney. And you're looking across town, and like the regulator is like, you can literally see their office over there, right? And I'm like, if this thing works, you know, at the time, I think the, the synthetics market cap was like $5 million or something like that. Right. And I was like, if this thing works at some point, someone is going to turn around and be like, wait a second, like there's this multi-billion dollar, you know, derivatives platform that's like operating here. What do we do with that? Right. And if you were a centralized company running as like a for-profit and we never were that we were an open source software foundation, but you know, at some point, someone can start like poke holes and things and be like, well, hang on a second, you got an office and this and whatever. And we just looked at that and said, like, it may be fine. And it turned out that it actually kind of was fine, that regulators were fairly permissive here and they were really going after fraud and, you know, outright scams and things that were genuinely innovative. They were kind of happy to let them play out and, and let those experiments play out. Um, so we got lucky in Australia, I think. Um, obviously, in the US, it was a bit more adversarial, but even still, you know, um, it wasn't like, you know, armed raids or, or something of offices, right? Like it was, you know, generally scams and things like that that were being shut down. Now it's gotten much worse, but, you know, 2018, 2019 wasn't as bad as it could have been. But I remember just thinking, like, we don't want to even think through the, the you know, the potential adverse scenario, right? Of like, you know, some person freaks out and goes, shut all this down. 
you know um and so we we kind of looked at um you know i guess the the precedent that had been set by this like sufficiently decentralized kind of uh argument that was made about ethereum right and, and why that didn't need to be regulated and obviously that was a u.s jurisdictional thing but you know we figured that you know other regulators are going to be looking at what the u.s is doing and, and kind of you know playing playing from their lead and so we just said we have to decentralize this thing it's too risky to not decentralize it we have to do it um and so you know from basically the start of 2019 we we started kind of you know removing all of that stuff and i i think this is i was going to make this point around governance uh earlier but i'll make it now like decentralizing governance is not just regulatory arbitrage it has that component as well but it is genuinely also about like efficiency of decision making you know the idea that like some single person you know in a like as a ceo or whatever you know chairman of the board or whatever you want to call it you know in this top-down hierarchical thing you know this genius person is going to be able to make like the best decisions and just you know let that kind of you know propagate through this organization um is in my view a relic of that was the only thing we had so people were like, oh, well, it has to be amazing. You know, that's the only tool we have, right? So like, of course it has to be great. How, you can't live in a world where you're like, this is a terrible, inefficient thing, but it's all we've got. So, you know, like it's hard to like that level of kind of cognitive dissonance is hard to maintain. So people were like, no, no, this is the best thing. Like, of course, this is amazing, right? And so I think we now have a way of coordinating people in, in the form of decentralized organizations that are messy right now, but it's heading in the direction of better decision-making more open, more transparent, more, you know, kind of, uh, you know, efficient, uh, decision-making, not in the sense that it's fast or you can like, you know, pivot quickly or all that sort of stuff, but in that you don't do the dumb things as much. And that's really like ultimately at the, the crux of why decentralized governance for me is a better solution is that it actually slows you down and, and kind of forces you to think things through and be a little bit, um, you know, less crazy. Um, now early on in an organization, you, you know, you want people to do dumb, crazy stuff and blow up and you have 10 of those things running in parallel and one of them works. And then, you know, you kind of, but at a certain point you need to transition. And so I have no issues with like three, people in a garage you know building a startup but then after six months it's like okay let's start to decentralize this and i think we've seen now that in spite of all of the inefficiencies and all the friction all that sort of stuff that a lot of these decentralized organizations are starting to actually make better decisions i mean you look sort of historically at it versus a, a centralized organization you know they're not blowing up they're you know they're kind of getting to the right decision eventually and it's looking better and better and i think that track record over the next five to ten years is just going to get better so i do think that you know there is a regulatory arbitrage component to it um but that's not the whole story the whole story is is about how do you, you know, kind of efficiently coordinate people and i think we're here because we believe that you know decentralization has some role to play in that right well, yeah and hopefully the product of more ideas as well yeah, more idea. I was just going to say incentives are better aligned. It's no longer just yeah. that CEO, that board member, you know, getting rich off the backs of of its employees or, you know, the employees maybe not caring as much just because, well, it's not my company, it's not my money, you know, mm. better aligned incentives because everyone is a participant, you know, maybe it's through your token or um, 
yeah, just, just the fact that you can get validation of your ideas from the community rather than just like your one manager, one step above you. And then they take it to their one manager above as well. Yeah. I mean, I say this all the time, right? Like, you know, in crypto, in uh, a, a tr really decentralized crypto project, right? The, the office building that you operate is typically discord, right? <laughs> and any lunatic can just walk in for good or ill any lunatic can just walk in and sit down at a table and be like what are we talking about today guy like that's just not like how the real world works right you can't walk into you know lloyd's and be like hey guys so i don't know if i'm like in agreement about how you guys are approaching this like it's just not a thing you know like they'll throw you they'll, they'll throw you out the door in two seconds right whereas in crypto you can turn up and yes, a lot of them are lunatics, right? And are, make no sense. But, you know, occasionally someone walks in and they're like, hey, I've got a really good idea. Um, you know, and if you listen to that person, you're like, oh, wow, actually, that is a good idea. We didn't, hadn't thought about that, right? And, and, you know, it can kind of send you in a different direction. So the idea that, like, anyone can walk in, anyone can participate, that is extremely powerful. Yeah, we'll try and walk into the Lloyds of London Discord and uh, give a few. <laughs> <laughs> you think they'll give yeah, me an internship yeah. or something if I wanted to I know, go right? in and see how yeah. it works? I, I'm willing to work for free. Like, let me in. They'll be like, get <laughs> the fuck out of here. <laughs> All right. Well, as always, we want to wrap and hear from you. What is the missing link in crypto? And, you know, how does it accelerate that next wave of adoption in the space? Yeah, I think last cycle, you know, the Altel one sucked a lot of the oxygen out of the room, unfortunately, um, you know, for a bunch of reasons. Um, but I think we, you know, even with the Coinbase announcement today of, uh, you know, this um, kind of uh, optimism, uh, you know, powered L2, you know, as part of this like super chain of L2s, um, I think we are finally in a place where Ethereum, it can kind of credibly scale. And when we do have that next influx of attention, it will go toward, you know, it will be allocated inefficiently as it always is, but it will be allocated inefficiently towards something that is credible as opposed to towards a lot of things which is nonsense. Um, so I think that, you know, over time markets get more efficient and I think crypto is getting more efficient. And I hope that in this next cycle that, you know, that's what we see. And, and you're going to be in a place where we can actually offer people decentralized solutions to the things that they want to do. You know, if you can sit here and say like, oh, decentralization is great, but we actually can't do any of the things that you want. No one's going to listen to that. They're just going to go and give their money to, you know, some scammer, right? Like in absence of like a, a genuine solution, they will go and the market will find a way to take that person's money, right? So, you know, it's really critical for us to have all of the infrastructure, all of the things that people are going to want. And I think that we're really getting close. And by the time, you know, we do get into the next bull market, I'm pretty confident that we'll be there. That's great. I think I feel like the space has done a great job of keeping people's attention uh, for you know a decade, uh, keeping the world's attention for that long to uh, to get to that point where you know these things can really become you know extremely useful and some of the you know the early promise starts to manifest pretty quickly. So that's um, uh, great to hear. And yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's a real honor to have a crypto OG on our podcast so early on. So we appreciate it. And, uh, you know, thank you for being just such a great proponent of, you know, open, transparent markets. Um, and yeah, a guest on the show. Thanks, thank guys. you. Cheers, Ken. Thanks for having me. We're one step closer to finding the missing link. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcast. And be sure to come back next month. Until then, we are The Missing Link.